So what I'm doing this morning is talking about grace and forgiveness. Um, the reason why um, we're doing that is because we're touching on a, a letter this morning, probably one of the smallest letters in Scripture, and it's the letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. Okay, some of you say Philemon, Philemon uh, is technically the correct name, as you would say Philip or Philadelphia, Philemon. And uh, this is a great story about grace, and the, the letter itself is a work of art, it really is, and we're going to discover that afresh this morning. But what I'd like to do is just simply show you uh, some geographical uh, points of reference that help you understand what's going on here. Paul's in Rome, he's in jail, and he writes four letters. He writes to the Ephesians, he writes to the Philippians, he writes to the Colossians in Colossae, and this church in Colossae, there is a man there by the name of Philemon, and uh, he's the leader of the house church that meets there. And so what we're going to find this morning is how Paul connects with this man in the context of his house church. Now, Philemon is an unusual name, and in as much as it means, uh, it can be easily interpreted affectionate, but it's one who kisses, okay? One who kisses. It's not the sort of name that I feel I could ever name my son. You know, it doesn't sort of, it's not up there with Rocky or anything, is it? Uh, but um, if you wanted to use a name that's similar to this, in the vernacular of today and the everyday language, it might be Cuddles, okay? So this guy's Philemon's name could translate to Cuddles, if you like that. Now, that makes Scripture sound really weird, doesn't it? You know, we turn to the book of Cuddles, okay? But literally, this is the way it was. So Philemon is the leader of the house church in Colossae, and uh, he's, got, he's got a slave, called Onesimus. And Onesimus's name means useful, which is kind of handy if you're a, if you're a slave and kind of handy if uh, you're the owner of a slave called useful. And you can sort of see it happening, eh? Hey, useful, come here. I need you to give me a hand. Does it make sense? Yeah, useful. Um, I heard of a, a dog being named by a farmer a few years ago, it really tickled my fancy, was um, the dog's called Please. <laughs> Get him behind, please. Get way out back, please. Come here, bring him in, please. Please. <laughs> Come here, you useless mongrel, please. <laughs> but uh, to be called useful as a slave is kind of, kind of handy, I think. Uh, now, the relationship between a master and a slave within the Roman times was a very defined relationship. About a third of all people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Okay, slavery didn't quite have the same uh, negative connotations as it might have done in 17th, 18th century America. But certainly there was a master and slave relationship. Now, sometimes people were born into slavery because their parents were slaves. They might have been the, the end result of a war and people were taken into slavery, or they may have got themselves into debt, and a way of getting out of debt was to bond yourself to a merchant or somebody from a different class, and you would work for them for a certain period of time until your debt was paid off. Okay, so that person was called a, 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 a bond slave, somebody who was bound to that person for a period of time. Paul talks about himself as a bond slave to Jesus. 
Okay, you can become a bond slave by willingly uh, partnering with a master as well. So uh, it's not all negative stuff. But uh, Paul certainly spoke to this relationship and said how it is that Christians should conduct themselves as slaves. He says here to the church in Colossae, slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to carry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your hearts as working for the Lord, not for human masters. In other words, uh, just because you can get away with it when the boss isn't looking to sneak around the back of the shed and have a cigarette, God's watching, okay? God's watching. And you work for the Lord first and for your boss, your master, second. And so this relationship between a, a slave and his master was a well-established, well-recognized place within society for somebody to belong to. Okay, so you have these other classes like equestrians. Equestrians, we associate that with horses, of course. These people literally had the right to own a horse. Okay, it's a, it's a status symbol to own a horse. They were the equestrian class. Then you had merchants, people who were trading, obviously. And you'd have freed men or freed women. People who had once been a slave, but now have been freed for particular reasons, maybe an act of courage, an act of bravery, an act of generosity that's brought honor to them, and they've been released from that, that bond. Uh, so you had these four different classes. Now let's get ourselves back into, um, into this book. The reason why I've got these stools up here, not just to represent how many friends I've got or don't have, but um, I'm going to use one of them to represent Philemon. Philemon being the uh, owner of the house and the leader of the house group. And this one here represents the Apostle Paul, and this one here is, is Onesimus. Now, Onesimus, as we're going to find out real quick, is a runaway slave. Okay, so he's lost all status. His status is, and his worth is zero. Uh, this guy here, Philemon, has the right to take his life from him, just the nature of the law and the authority that he had over him. And so uh, for Onesimus, Mr. Useful, he's actually become useless. But what's happened is he's turned up in Rome. He's escaped from Colossae. He's done the long distance of over 1,000 kilometers, and he's ended up in Rome. And maybe because he had met Paul in the house church of his master, but he somehow has connected with Paul as he is under house arrest in Rome. And it's here while Paul is under house arrest in Rome that Onesimus becomes a Christian. Okay, So this is how this whole story starts. Paul is under house arrest, and that's very similar to today's preventative, no, what's it called? Home detention. Home detention. In other words, he is literally in chains, even though he's in a home that he's renting himself. He's in chains. People are there to serve him, and they'll bring him food and fellowship and companionship. And so when you are in jail of any sort within the Roman period, and it still happens in a lot of Asian uh, and third world countries, you have to have people come and look after you, bring you food and clothes and look after you while you're in jail. You won't be fed or clothed. And so Paul is reliant upon the Christian church of the day in Rome to look after him. Onesimus turns up and he becomes a friend to Paul. So... Here we are, we're going to move into this, um, this story now about the Apostle Paul and how it is that he starts to appeal 
to Philemon, Philemon, on behalf of Onesimus, the slave who is worthy of death. Okay? But there's one really important thing that you've got to realize as you read this, these 25 uh, scriptures this morning. And that is that in the context of this letter, it was more than likely delivered at the same time as the letter that we have in our Bible that's written to the Colossian church. So you've got a letter being carried for the Colossian church and a letter for Philemon. There's every chance they arrive by the same courier, the same guy, the same messenger, and he would have met them in a public setting at a house church meeting in Philemon's home. Don't for a moment think that this letter was handed to Philemon, he runs off to his desk and just reads it on his own. That's not the way correspondence worked in those days. And so here we have a situation where the congregation is meeting and the messenger brings the message because this has a powerful impact, as you'll see, upon how Philemon would respond to what's being asked of him. Here he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, and our, Aphia our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So immediately Paul has established his own place and, and his own position. Here he is, not only a prisoner, but a prisoner because of Jesus. Okay, so because of his bold declarations of his faith, uh, this has got him in trouble, and now he is about to see Caesar in Rome. Okay, so he is there. Everybody knows he's there because of his proclamation of the gospel. But he also leans into uh, Philemon here by saying, you are my fellow worker. So he's saying, we are one in Christ. Not only are we one in Christ, but I know that as a leader, Philemon, you lead the, home, the, the house church of the Christian church within Colossae. And so here he is lifting Philemon up, praising him, strengthening him, giving him the accolade that he deserves as a leader in this small church in this town. And then Paul moves on into a real sense of thanksgiving for Philemon. And he says, I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Now, let's just stop there for a second and reconnect with the scene. This is being read to a group of people, not just Philemon himself, but a house church. And so here is Paul praising this man. He's telling him what a great servant he is. He's telling him and reminding him about the partnership that they have in the gospel. And you can see Philemon in his sort of heart of hearts smiling and agreeing with these words. And the church around him would have been going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, you're the man, Philemon, you're the man, Paul's affirming you here, you're a great leader in our midst. And one of the reasons why you are is because you fresh, refresh the hearts of the people who are in your house church. Okay, and all the people would have been going, yeah, yeah, that's, that's our Philemon. He, he looks after us spiritually, he probably feeds us and waters us as well, or feeds us and winds us which way you want to go on that one. But um, he would have been a blessing to them. And so Philemon's sitting there thinking, 
This is pretty good. I like this letter so far. I'm sitting here riding high right now because the main man, Paul, is affirming me as a leader and as a, a spiritual leader as well and somebody who is affirmed as a partner with him in the gospel. It doesn't get much better than that, does it? But of course, there's more to come. Therefore, don't you love it when there's a therefore? Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. Well, let's just stop there for a second. You can just imagine this sort of thinking, thinking, thinking and sinking feeling going on in Philemon's heart and mind right there. Like, uh-oh, where are we going now? Therefore, I appeal to you. But I want to appeal to you in love, not order you to do something. It says here, it is as none other than Paul, an old man, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you. See how his name was useful? Formerly he was useless to you. But now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. Wow. I don't know how you'd feel at this point if you were Philemon. But all his buddies, who would have just seen him getting all that praise, would have been looking at him going, this will be interesting. This will be very interesting. Because you notice how Paul appeals to him in a way that he's going straight for the, well, not really the jugular, but the heart, literally. You know, this man, see at the bottom of that that sentence, he is my very heart. So he's sending this man, Onesimus, this runaway slave who's become a follower of Jesus, and he's sending him to Philemon saying, here he is, he's coming back to you, but he's not the same. He's a Christian now, and more than a Christian, he actually has my heart. He has my heart. So therefore you're obligated to him in the way that you might be obligated to me. And this is where the tension really begins in this story, doesn't it? Because now when we're talking about faith, talking about love, we're talking about forgiveness, we're talking about fellowship, it's easy to talk about all these things in theory, isn't it? You know, it's the story of the man who was praying to God saying, God, I'm so grateful that today I haven't uh, upset anybody, I haven't made anybody mad, I haven't taken anything that's not mine, I haven't had any bad thoughts, but in about two minutes I've got to get out of bed. And the whole day will start, you know? So here is Onesimus. Here is Philemon. And Paul is appealing to him. And he says, I'm sending to you somebody who is my very heart. Paul says, I would like to keep, like to keep him, but sorry, keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favour you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Now, let's stop here for a second. You know, he's saying, listen, um, I'm not demanding that uh, Onesimus, you know, comes in to you and becomes a friend and a fellow brother, 
but I'm appealing to you out of your heart. And here he is appealing to Philemon right in front of his people. And so Philemon's in a very, very difficult spot now because he knows that what everything that Paul is saying is right. There is a level of obligation here that is starting to be built upon Philemon. Let's read it. It carries on. It says, So that any favor you would do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So Paul's even reinterpreting the fact that this guy did a runner. He's an escaped slave. Paul's saying, (laughs) um, separated from you for a little while. Now, isn't that minimizing? You know? If your 16-year-old child ran away from home for a week, you'd say, where have you been? And he came back and said, I have just been separated from you for a little while. (laughs) That would be called minimization, wouldn't it? And that's essentially what Paul is doing here. He's minimizing what is a significant crime. A significant crime. And he's saying, not only has this person been separated from you, but this actually could have been God. This could have been God. And on that basis, he is going to come back to you better than he was before because he's not going to be useless. He's going to come back not as a slave, but as a brother. And so there's a sense here in which Paul is appealing to to Philemon, Philemon saying, look, let's not make him a slave. Let's just bring him back and put him in your household and make him a brother. He doesn't say that he has to return as a slave. But we don't get the details to work that one through. And he says, he is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man, as a brother in the Lord. Well, what's going on here? is Paul is appealing to something that is relatively new in society, but something we're familiar with within the context of the Christian church, and that is koinonia. What is koinonia? Koinonia is fellowship and a spirit of love and obligation and commitment to one another that comes out of having an obligation and a commitment and a love for God first. Remember what Jesus said? They shall know you, my disciples, because you love one another. Okay, the only debt that remains, Jesus said to him, is the debt to love one another. Okay, so this is koinonia. Uh, interestingly, Paul probably describes it best in his letter to the Philippians when he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete for being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. This is a unique experience that Christians have within their relationships with each other. At least that's the aspiration that we should have. And as much as my love for God should spill over in my my friendship and my commitment to one another. But the bigger thing that's being said here is the word obligation. Obligation. We don't like the word obligation in the 21st century because we would much rather have freedom to do our own thing 
without any sense in which we're bound to others. So this is a real contradiction, if you like, to the values that we are aspiring to in the 21st century Western world. Look at Facebook. All the millennials struggle with this one. Would you like to come to my party? And the answers that you have choice-wise are yes, maybe, and no. So there are always maybes being ticked until you get to that final point where you have to make a decision. Oh God, help me make a decision because I've said maybe to three things tonight and I know I've got to work out where I'm going to go. That's all right, I'll just stay home. Play video games. You see, obligation is something that we struggle with. And yet, within Christian fellowship, we're told that we have an obligation to one another. Um, some years ago, I remember, I think I might have told you this before, but um, at a Taranga Ministers Association meeting, and it was discussed how it was that there was a, uh, a man who was um, going to the Assemblies of God Church up on Otomodai Road, and uh, he was going to the worship there, and then when the worship finished at that church, he'd run across the road to Otomodai Baptist Church, and he'd listen to the sermon. Okay? And you're going, man, this is just the ultimate in consumerism, eh? And the two pastors at the church were there at the time, having a great laugh about it. And uh, until somebody said, I wonder where he pays his tithes. <laughs> yeah, they had a good laugh about that too. But you see, here is somebody who's obligated completely to their own, probably, pleasure, if you like. Okay, that, that, that sense in which I'm in it for me. Our Christians need to have a greater level of obligation to one another because we are all one in Christ. Christ's blood is shed for us. But Paul is appealing at a completely different level. He's saying, listen, if you, Philemon, hadn't met me, Paul, you wouldn't be where you are today. You would not have known Christ. So therefore, I'm appealing to you not only as a brother in Christ, but as an apostle. And I'm asking you to consider what you would do with Onesimus on the basis of your new love, your new experience of Christ, this new fresh forgiveness that you've been given, and this sense of koinonia that now exists between us all. But uh, commitment, obligation, is something that we try to push to one side. Yeah, we're all obligated and we're all committed to the well-being of others. And uh, particularly when we find that those people have spoken in or been part of our lives. Um, some of you have been here when I've seen other ministers come in who have been a significant part of my life, and I always make it my business to acknowledge them and to thank them for what they've done in my life. Just a few months here, we had Reverend Tom Frew and Aileen Frew, who are the founding pastors of this church, and whenever they're here, I'll always acknowledge them. Paul Grimmer, who led me to Christ at Otomoto Baptist Church, I saw him just a couple of weeks ago, you know, and we talked about that, I reminded him about that, and he's still scorch marks and sulfur burns on the carpet where I gave my life to Christ, you know. But you see, these are the people who I'm obligated to as well as to many of you, of course. We don't have a word for koinonia in the English language that works very, very well. But uh, the Maori language has a, a word called phenonatanga. And uh, phenonatanga talks about these networks of relationships. Um, probably better pronounced whakawhanonatanga. Okay, but Fanonatanga happens when we find ourselves being welcomed onto a marae. 
How many of you have been in a pōwhiri when you welcomed onto a marae? Yeah. What's happening there is you're being welcomed as strangers to whom you'd respond as a friend. And during the conversations that are going between one and another, somebody will speak and another person will reply, somebody will speak, another person will reply from two different sides. What's happening is there's links being established. Uh, they'll say, oh, you know, my, my great-great-great-grandfather Totoku's or goes back to this particular marae, and uh, my great-great-grandmother, she was from this area, and, and they start to build these bridges of relationship. And they start to draw closer and closer together because they see that their family bloodlines, there are things that have happened together. There might be negative things in the past too where there might have been bloodshed, and they'll acknowledge that as well because they need to put that behind them. And so these are the, the networks that are built around Whakawhanaunatanga. But they start to establish very similar lines of connection and obligation uh, as you would in that word koinonia. Uh, it's a funny thing about being a New Zealander, isn't it, is that we sort of have this expectation, because we're a small country, that we will know people around the place. And I can remember, probably like a lot of you, being in, um, in the UK, running into folks, maybe in a work setting or a social setting, and uh, you chat to them and you say, oh, whereabouts are you from? And they'll say, oh, I'm from Gisborne. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I've got an uncle who, uh, who lives in Gisborne. Oh, really? Oh, what does he do? Oh, he owns a dairy on such and such. Oh, my cousin used to work for him. He's that tall guy with the beard, eh? Yeah, he's got a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So Kiwis do this all the time. And the palms are looking on going, you've got to be kidding me. How big is New Zealand? Like 45 people, you know? And, uh, and, and then when you get to know the, you know, you get to know these folks and you find that they've got connections to you and to others. Um, I'll tell this story again because I think it's really amusing, but uh, last year when I came back from uh, doing the Camino, I told a story about how I ran into all these people who were connected or totokud back to the Bay of Plenty here, people who had kids who had married Kiwis and they're living at Mount Monganui or whatever. But I met this Korean guy, probably only about 21, and uh, he didn't speak very good English at all, okay, at all, which is not his problem, it's my problem. I don't speak Korean. So um, there's, there's sort of, there you go, there's, uh, there's sort of some Western arrogance for you, eh? Saying he didn't speak English, how bad is that? Um, and, and he said to me, um, he says, oh, I've been to New Zealand. And I said, really? He says, yeah, in fact, I only just came from New Zealand a couple of months ago. I said, wow, where did you, where did you live? And he said, oh, I lived in Tauranga. No way. You live in Tauranga? He says, yeah. I said, well, whereabouts in Tauranga? And he said, Greerton. Really? Um, what brought you to Greerton? He says, oh, I've got family who live in Greerton. I said, oh, wow. And, and what do they do? He says, oh, they own the $2 shop in Greerton. And he said, uh, it was easy for me. I work for them. And he said, one item, $2, two items, $4, three items, $6. Very easy for me. <laughs> and uh, I just couldn't believe this guy, you know. And then hey, we'd sing out and... Uh, We'd see each other on the road, we'd pass each other or see each other in a cafe and I'd walk past them and go, two dollar, two dollar, every time. <laughs> and uh, you know, that's just bononatanga, you know, or, or whatever. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Just building those connections with each other. So this is what's happening with Philemon and Paul and Useless. 
So, Paul says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. Okay, now the acid's coming on, isn't it? If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention that you owe me your very self. (laughs) I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Remember, he's the one who refreshes hearts. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. Well, poor old Philemon. What was he going to do? Here he is surrounded by this cloud of witnesses, the people who he does life with, his church family, where Cornonia has taken place for for them. And now he has a choice. Well, we can't really imagine any other choice happening but this, and that is that uh, Onesimus comes back into his life and they become brothers in Christ. Yeah? And it's a beautiful weaving, isn't it, of, of, of asking permission, giving obligation, reminding somebody of their responsibilities, but all done in the sense of love and the fact that God is above all of our relationships. And therefore, what Paul is saying to both Philemon and Onesimus, he's saying, look, you're brothers. It doesn't matter what status you have. In Christ, you've received received the same forgiveness. You share in the same koinonia, and there's nothing that separates you both. But Paul puts in this final scripture, the very last one, just, I think, to make sure that Philemon has heard him. And he says this, he goes, And one more thing. Prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. In other words, I'm on my way. I'm coming to check you out. And, uh, and that is an answer to your prayer, isn't it? You want me to be with you, don't you? And I just think it's a beautiful way of saying, I love you in the Lord. And in the Lord, I'm going to make sure that you're loving others in the same way. Wonderful, isn't it? Let's stand for prayer. Father, we, uh, in this season of families and relationships and friendships, uh, we're probably all very conscious of how it is that we get on, or maybe not get on so well with friends and family. But we see here, Lord, this beautiful picture of, uh, of love creating obligation. And that obligation being rendered to you, Lord. And as much as the debt that we owe others is the debt that we are paying you. And so, God, we thank you. We thank you for this example of this story that happened in a small church nearly 2,000 years ago. And how for us, Lord, we, we too experience the depth of this koinonia, this whakapanonatanga, the sense of life being shared amongst us because of our mutual love for you 
and our desire to see the body of Christ strengthened and, and growing and just building those bonds of love. And so God, I, I just want to pray for people here today who maybe have just been prompted about how it is that they, they need to give a bit more grace, how they need to uh, just lay down their swords, lay down their weapons occasionally and, and give some room for others to be in and closer to their lives. So Father, we, we thank you for for Paul, we thank you for useful, and we thank you for cuddles. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.